Amen. So we are going to be in Exodus. Uh, we've been working our way through Exodus. So if you want to turn there with me, uh, we're going to be in chapter 3. Uh, so we are covering the whole chapter this morning. Uh, I know Stephen covered like three verses last week, and we have, uh, I get a whole chapter uh, on kids' family worship Sunday, fifth Sunday, uh, which we're excited to have all the kids in here uh, with us. Um, you know, so I, I can't guarantee it'll be as short as maybe Stephen's was last week, but I'll do my best. Um, before we get into Exodus, before we read and, and kind of go from there, I have uh, something to announce uh, before we get there. Um, so many of you probably already know, some of you may not, uh, but I'm in the Army. I've been in the Army for almost nine years. Uh, for about eight of those years, I've been working towards being a chaplain with the Army. And recently, we've been approved for active duty uh, to be a chaplain, uh, which is really exciting. Um, and then even more recently, we found out where we're going. Uh, and we're going to Hawaii, so I know, yeah, I know, we're really suffering, right? Yeah. Uh, so we were very shocked. We thought we were going to Kentucky, and that's not where we're going. We thought we were a shoe-in for Kentucky. We had all this extra paperwork and things, and uh, he just went like that, I guess. So, um, But anyway, we're going to Hawaii, so excited about that, still a bit shocked. Uh, so that'll come at the end of the summer, uh, around the 1st of August or so. We're still waiting on the official some of the official dates and the move dates and some of the other things. Uh, but I want to kind of put that out there so we know. I know, again, many of you already know that that's been our trajectory for a long time now. It's been, like I said, a long, really long journey, really thankful um, for all that God has done in getting us here and what he has in store going forward. Um, we love this church. We love all of you. We love Delanaga. Y'all are going to be greatly missed. We're going to be out there for three years, and then they'll go somewhere else. Um, but So we're going to be stuck on an island for that long. So y'all come visit. You know, I know island life's pretty rough, I hear, but um, so that's where we'll be. Um, so we're, uh, you know, we're looking forward to that. But um, anyway, so this, we'll still be here. We're not leaving, but I just want to, yet, but I want to let everybody know on that. But as we start to kind of get into Exodus and do some kind of more introductory kind of work before we start, um, you know, and, and with all the stuff with the Army, with graduating from seminary, with officially being uh, pinned as a chaplain recently as well, um, I had a pinning ceremony, so I was a chaplain candidate before, so I was a candidate as a chaplain, and then now I'm officially in a, cha a chaplain. So the uh, drill two weeks ago at training, they did a ceremony thing where they pinned on chaplain, and the state chaplain, who's a colonel, uh, was there, and he, he did it, and he spoke, um, you know, he looked at me and said, hey, you know, you're, you're not a candidate anymore, you're a qualified chaplain, you know, you got it on your uniform, you're there's no more candidate status here. He's like, they're going to look at you as a qualified chaplain. Are you ready for that? I'll stand there. I'm like, yeah, let's go. You know? And then uh, after, the, after the fact, though, and we're kind of reflecting really just on all the seasons of life that have been kind of closing. And as we start to walk in a new one, um, and that we're excited about it. But it's still like, well, I've never been a chaplain before. You know, like this is kind of new. I understand the Army. I understand generally what we're supposed to do there. But I've never actually been in that role officially. So in doing that, there was some level of humility coming in of just like, just being humbled uh, from like, okay, well, the army says I'm qualified for this. I feel ready for it. But at the same time, am I really ready for whatever is going to be thrown at me? Like, I don't know. I've never done it before. Um, so there's a sense in which, you know, you had, I've had some of this kind of um, just feeling of, you know, not feeling fully qualified and some things like that coming in. And I bring this up because what we're going to see in Exodus 3 this morning 
is in verse 11, we're going to go ahead and, we're going to read verse 11 and then we'll get into the text. But verse 11, Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I to do this task? Well, we're going to see and we're going to get there and, and unpack it more when we get there. But the, the big idea this morning is God in his providence chooses to use weak vessels to accomplish his purposes. That's, the, that's his choosing, that's his uh, desire, that's the way that he has orchestrated uh, all these things to take place. He can do whatever he wants, and ultimately it comes down to him and who he is. But he chooses to use weak vessels to accomplish his purposes. And we'll unpack more of what that means for Moses, what that means for us, and things as we move through the text. Uh, but let's start at verse 1. And let's get uh, this introductory material of the narrative. So we're going to get introduced here. Um, again, I guess before we, we read, just in case you missed last week or last couple weeks, we are in Exodus. Last week, Stephen preached on those three verses prior to this, where it's showing us that, uh, that God has seized Israel's oppression. They're in slavery in Egypt. They have been heavily oppressed for 400 years or so. And uh, in verse 24 of chapter 2, if you look up in your, in your Bible, it says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So that's where we left off last week, and now we're going to see, okay, well, what is God going to do in light of that taking place? That's what we're going to see this morning. So verse 1, chapter 3, says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, in this text, in our place here in Exodus, as we work our way through, it's been four, 40 years have passed since Moses fled Egypt. We, we heard about that about two weeks ago, where Moses killed a guy, that, that word spread, and he's like, I got to get out of here, they're going to kill me, and he, he went into exile. So that was 40 years ago at this point in our text. He's now working as a shepherd, we see in verse 1. He was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro uh, in this area. Uh, we also know uh, we don't have a map in front of us in here, but from where this location is, at Mount, this is Mount Sinai, it's using a different name at this point, but it's the same place that we'll see later on where the law is given to Moses and the people of Israel. It's the same location, the same mountain. And it's located a several weeks' journey from, from Midian, from where he was living with his father-in-law and his family and, and everyone. It's several weeks' journey, so he's journeyed uh, to this location uh, so the flock can have good grass and, and eat and, have, and be fed. And then he's here and he sees this bush that's burning. So, you know, it's been a long time. 40, again, 40 years have passed. He's been in exile. He's not in Egypt anymore. I mean, he's kind of far removed uh, from all the things going on in Egypt. But he sees this, this bush that's burning, and he naturally 
is gravitated towards it, right? Anytime fire captivates us, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But he sees this fire, this bush, it's not, it's not getting burned up. He goes to see it. And this angel of the Lord appeared. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in this flame of fire. Now, the angel of the Lord used here is, is really key because this, this term, this angel of the Lord, uh, is used in various places in the Old Testament. Uh, and they're, they're distinct in, in certain ways from other appearances. So this is known as a theophany. So, which is an appearance of God. So, God has appeared in the bush in this way, uh, the angel of the Lord. And we know this a couple of different ways. Uh, the first is this angel of the Lord speaks as God. So, he's speaking as God. He's not speaking on behalf of God, which we see that in other places. Here, he's speaking as God. The other part is we see at the end in verse 5 that the place on which Moses was standing is holy ground. Well, if it's holy ground in that area, then again, it must be an appearance of God himself here. Otherwise, uh, that would just not be the case, right? We see this also in, uh, in Joshua uh, where the commander of the Lord's army shows up. You have a parallel um, appearance. But the reason we bring this up is, is key in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of theologians dating back to the early church would call this a Christophany, an appearance of Christ, so a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Regardless, really, of where you land on that is, is kind of okay, but I would, I would argue that it's helpful if we view it that way uh, in light of the Trinity, in light of there being one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that it would make sense that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ speaking as angel of the Lord, as a messenger of the Lord, and speaking as God for a lot of different reasons. But for, to keep it short, for one, Christ, the Son, is, is the person of the Trinity who is designated to come down to us later in the New Testament uh, so that we could know God through the Son. So in the way that we relate to God in the distinct persons, that was the role that he took in carrying that out. So that would also then carry over here in the doctrine of the Trinity because he is speaking, he is appearing, he is sharing with Moses in this case, and then obviously us through the word, if that makes sense. But regardless, it's an appearance of God, regardless of where you stand, it's okay. God has appeared here, and it's, it's super important, right? And he gets Moses' attention through the fire, Everybody been camping before or had like a campfire or something? Um, it's always very captivating, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty um, interesting to see that how you can get a group of people around a fire to sit there and then not say a word for a very long time, right? I don't, I'm sure most of you have experienced that at some point. And that's because it's fire is captivating. I mean, it really is. You have a, even a small one or a big one. We just stare at it, right? I mean, you can literally just sit at night around a campfire and not say a word, and you just stare at the fire because it's captivating. Um, but in bringing that up, that is, you know, fire is something that's extremely helpful, keeps you warm. You can cook your food on it so that it's, it tastes better and safe to eat. Uh, you know, you can use it as protection uh, and various other things. But if you don't take it seriously, if you play around with it, you can get hurt really bad, badly, and you can even die. Uh, so it's a, a really key thing. God appears in this way in fire uh, throughout the Old Testament in various uh, capacities. But 
need to say, so we have our introduction here. So we, we kind of come to this point here at verse 6 where we, have, uh, we, we understand what's going on. God has appeared in the bush. Moses, it's been 40 years. So, okay, God, why are you here? I mean, you can just see it says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 6, and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So you can just kind of imagine, like, oh boy, like this is a, this is a really big deal. I mean, God has appeared. He's it's hot, it's fire. He's saying the Lord's here. He's hiding his face. A, a pretty natural response that I think is very respectable here, given the circumstances. But you can kind of just imagine him hiding and be like, oh boy, why is this happening? You know, why is God appearing right now uh, in this location? It's been forty years since I've been around Israel. It's been, I mean, it's just I'm on this mountain by myself with the flock. Why is this happening? Uh, so that kind of leads us to that question. Why is this happening? Which we know a little bit already, obviously. But let's keep going and we'll see some more of uh, what God is doing here. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land, a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So here God's right out of the gate is giving Moses clarity on why he's here. So God's appeared, he gives instructions, he's making known to Moses, hey, I have come now, I've come here because I've seen the afflictions of Israel. They have been afflicted for a long time as he said it would occur, but now the time has come for God to do something. Now, now it's, come, it's come to the, the boiling point, so to speak, that God is about to move, God is about to do something, and he's making that known to Moses. Look at verse 8 where it says, I have, this is God speaking, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I mean, just see here, right out, I mean, just again, in the Old Testament, in Exodus 3, early on, the fact that God is saying, I have come down to you to bring them out of slavery, to deliver them from the Egyptians, to deliver them from slavery. We see the clear parallel in the New Testament where Christ came down to deliver us from slavery, from sin, in him. So we see this clear parallel here, this early foreshadowing, this early um, work of God where he, come, where he came down to make this happen, to make this, to make this delivery take place, uh, which is just, I mean, it's profound. Right? I mean, we, we, shouldn't, we don't need to skip over verse 8 where it says, I have come down. To, I mean, no, no other religion, no other God that's, that's described out there in any capacity comes close to anything like this. And this is the one true God speaking and giving us this information uh, of, how he, of who he is and how he acts and how he responds. Uh, but that's, that's a really big deal. He has come down. Israel didn't deserve this. We don't deserve Christ coming down, yet he did here. In Genesis 15, uh, verse 13, we've read this multiple times throughout really our Genesis um, um, leading in uh, series as well as in Exodus. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. 
but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God is keeping his promise to Abraham. So even talked about it last week from Genesis 17. We're talking about it this week from Genesis 15. The promises of God given to Abraham and to Israel will, were kept, and all his promises will always be kept because God is always faithful. He is keeping this promise. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. Well, they were afflicted 400 years, which is why God is coming down to deliver them from the slavery. The, the time is complete for that to happen. They are going to come back with great possessions, which we see here. We'll get to that later. Verse 14 of Genesis says, They shall come out with great possessions. We'll see that later in our text and that fulfillment. So over and over again, God's promises are fulfilled, and he is working to make that happen. God is aware, and he's active. I'm sure there were plenty of times in Israel's, uh, you know, in their exile, or not their exile, in their slavery in Egypt, that they had the thought of, has God left us? Is he listening? Is he active? Does he care about what we're doing and what's, what we're feeling, what we're, what's going on? And he does. He, he heard their cries. We saw that last week. We see it this week in our text. He hears their cries. He knows their afflictions. He cares and he loves his people. And he's not going to leave them um, out to dry. This was part of the plan. It took place. But he hears, even throughout all of that, he heard their cries and he listened and he loved his people. He always loves his people. He's always faithful. And he cares about suffering and afflictions. And we can take that to heart. And what we see, we saw in Hebrews, when we were going through Hebrews, that we have Christ as our advocate, that Christ came down, he lived the perfect sinless life, he suffered in many ways in his life, and then he suffered ultimately by going to the cross, and, we, by, and then was resurrected on the third day. But we, we have Christ, so all of us have things going on in life, all of us have struggles, all of us have sufferings, all of us have uh, illnesses and we lose family members. We have a whole different, whole list of things that happen in life, things that have already happened, things that are happening now, things that will. And we can take this to heart that we have Christ, we have an advocate who understands where we stand and what is going on. Even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of, in this case, Israel being enslaved, God still cared, God still heard them. And that's a, that's a good reminder for us to, to have uh, in our own lives as well. Because God doesn't change. He, he still hears us now, no matter what we're going through in the big and the small. So we get to this point, all right? So, so, so now what? I mean, you, you, can just, you can just feel Moses like, okay, you know, he's freaked out. Okay, get some like, okay, this is why I'm here. I'm going to deliver Israel. Oh, perfect. You know, like, what are you going to do, God? Like, this is great. You just told me what you're going to do, but you haven't really told me how you're going to accomplish that, that task. So, so how is this going to happen? You can almost feel him being like, yes. And then God says in verse 10, come, I will send you. Oh boy, <laughs> you're going to do what? He uh, says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So quickly God says, hey, here's why I'm here and here's what we're going to do about it. You're going to go. Come, I'm sending you, Moses, to go deliver my people from Israel, you were going to go to Pharaoh and bring them out. 
And Moses is like, oh boy, like, who, who am I to go do that? I mean, Moses is working as a shepherd, which in Egyptian culture, that was like the lowest position you could have. And, and you know, if you're familiar with Moses' story, what we talked about, he grew up in the, in the prince and in the court, as well as uh, had a Hebrew upbringing as well. So he's very familiar with kind of both ends of the spectrum in terms of culture and understanding. And he knows his place at this point in, in life, uh, especially in the view of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And, but God is telling him, no, 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 I'm sending you. You are going to go. But who am I, God, to go? Now, I'm sure all of us can, at least in some capacity, um, kind of re- re- maybe not relate to it, but at least in some ways relate to it. If you've ever seen uh, the movie um, Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow by Tom Cruise, if you haven't, it's okay. Uh, I know it's kind of out there, but it ca- came to my mind when I was working on this, and it's like, I don't know if it works, but we're going to try it. So, in other words, uh, Tom Cruise, to keep it short, he was a public relations officer in the military. Aliens had invaded the earth. No, no, fantasy. And then they were, he, he was advocating for uh, soldiers to join because they had this suit that's supposed to make them stronger and faster and all this stuff. And then uh, on the eve of the invasion of Europe, shocker, nothing new under the sun, right? Uh, and so the, they were about to invade Europe, and he's on TV saying, hey, everybody join. We got this cool suit. It's going to protect you. We're going to kill the enemy, blah, blah, blah. So he gets called into the Supreme Commander's office, you know, the Supreme Allied Commander of all the forces of the earth, whatever. And he gets in there thinking he's going to get an award for this. And he's like, hey, you're going to go out in the first wave tomorrow with your suit that you've been promoting. You're going to go out, you're going to go out in the first one. He's like, whoa, boy, I'm a, I'm a PR guy. Like, I'll just get on TV and tell people to do things. I don't, I don't go to combat. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to go. You, you've been talking this up. You're, you're going. And then uh, this is beside the point, but he blackmailed him and then got thrown out and was in the first. But anyway, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't matter. Um, so the point being, right, he's like, hey, who am I to go? Like, I, I'm just a PR guy. I'm not equipped for this combat stuff. I'm not supposed to go. I mean, here's Moses. I'm, I'm just a shepherd. What do you mean I got to go tell the most powerful man in the world that you're going to let people go? Like, who am I to go do this task? And that's where, we, again, we get this idea that, uh, that we see throughout Scripture that God uses weak vessels to accomplish his purposes. He has chosen to use us, finite human beings who are sinful and broken and just are just in comparison to him, very small, right? Extremely small. Uh, yet he has chosen to, to, use, to use us in that way, to relate to us in that way. Uh, we see it in Romans 10 as a clear example that uh, in Romans 10, if you're familiar with that text, it's, it's really getting at the idea that uh, for the gospel to spread and for people to be saved, it, somebody must speak, somebody must preach or just share in a conversation the gospel, uh, and that is how God is going to save his people, is through the proclamation, through believers and through others, uh, sharing the good news. And that's, again, his design. It's his design for that to be the case. He can do whatever he wants. That is the way that he chose to do it. In this case, he could do whatever he wants to deliver Israel out of, uh, out of Egypt, yet he chose to call Moses. He chose to raise Moses up to call him out of this particular point in time to send him in to deliver them out. Look at verse 12, though. So Moses is, again, saying, who am I to take this task? Look at verse 12. But I, this is God speaking. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But I will be with you. 
and you shall, and this shall be the sign when you come here. I will be with you. We see this, again, parallel in the New Testament. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So really, no matter where God is sending us, whether it's sending Moses into Egypt or whether it's sending us out in the Great Commission or sending us down the street to share the gospel and to be, and to be faithful in that proclamation, regardless of what we're talking about, when God sends his people, he goes with them and he doesn't leave them on their own. And that should be very comforting to us because all of us, again, are going to go through a lot of really challenging things, whether that's moving across an ocean for the gospel, whether that's moving down the street, whether that's going and telling your coworker uh, and sharing the gospel with them. Whatever the case is, there's a lot of things in life that's going to be challenging and going to be difficult, uh, yet we are called to do these things, and God's going to be with us. We have the Holy Spirit, which is great, right? We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within all believers as well. Well, let's keep going. Uh, So verse 13 and through almost the end of the chapter says this. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So we had the first question of who am I? We have the second question here of, okay, well, what is your name? What am I, suppose I go tell them all that's taking place. What is your name? What am I supposed to go tell them? In this case, and this is where we get one of the most uh, profound, really profound text in, in all of the scripture, or one of them at least, uh, of, of learning about who God is. He says, I am who I am. In other words, God is who he is, right? God absolutely is. So there's some level of that that um, is going to be left uh, to us, there's, there's going to be some level of just barrier where we're going to be like, yeah, God is. Great. Now what, you know? So, uh, but, there, but at the same time, there's a, a good healthy amount that we can take away from this. And that is God exists in and of himself. He's self-existent. So and another way to maybe think about that is if I'm going to describe like who I am uh, and, and use some different terms and things, you know, I may say, hey, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend. But then at the, kind of the base level, I'll get to, well, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a human being made in God's image. And that would be like kind of the, the foundational level that I could get to of who I am ontologically, right? I'm a man made in God's image. But in that description, I, I have to use God in relation to me, right? I'm a man, what? made in God's image. We are all made in God's 
image. Same thing if I say I'm a father. Well, I'm only a father because I'm relating to someone else, to Ruth in this case. And you can go down the list. So, so you, you hopefully you see the point. In, in any way we describe ourselves or anything, for that matter, it's always in relation to someone or something else. There's no way we can describe ourselves alone by ourselves without any reference to anything else. Another example of this, every one of us in here had, either had or has a mom and a dad. Now, you may not have known them, you know, we live in a sinful, broken world, there's very a lot of things that happen there. You may not have known them, but it took a mom and a dad for you to be born. I mean, even that in itself, your, your parents, be, you know, begetting you and being born, you still have to describe that in relationship to the people who begat you, right? Even though you may not know them, that's still the way it happens. Whereas God, God is, period. He doesn't need to have anything or anyone else in relation to him to describe who he is. He just is in himself. Does that make sense? Is that good? Are we good there? Self-existent. So really in anything we see in, in the world or in uh, reality, the way that we experience it and understand it, it's all, it's all been created by God. It's all in relation to God. E- even an atheist, right? Well, you've probably heard this before. This isn't new to me. I mean, this is just, I'm sharing information. Atheist, right? Doesn't believe in God. Well, the term itself has theist in the, in the word. You can't even describe that you don't believe in God without referencing God. <laughs> God is. And that, that should be comforting to us, and that is what he is trying to describe to Moses. Because really, before God answers the question in verse um, 14, God initially said to Moses, I am who I am. So it's like, before I even answer the question, I'm just telling you, I, I am who I am. In other words, God is who he is. He just is. And he's getting that out of the way. And then he says, You can go tell him that I am. Uh, and that's the word for Yahweh, which I'm sure many of us have heard before. And so as we uh, just, again, I know that there's, again, there's a limited amount of things we can understand here. There's some that we can take away, which we should and is right and good um, that we take away that God is who he is. So we can trust in that. And so as we keep moving along through our text, God told Moses to gather the elders and to tell them who he is and what he's going to do. Now, God has already told Moses that he's got to go to Pharaoh, which is a really big deal, right? The most powerful man in the world. Now he's telling him not only before that, you've got to go to the elders. Now I would imagine this in itself is also going to be a pretty intimidating task for Moses because he's probably not all that highly respected at this point because the one time he tried to help Israel, it didn't really work. He killed a guy, everybody found out, and then it just he exiled himself for 40 years. So that didn't really go all that well initially. So I'm sure that in itself is also intimidating for him. But look, look, what, God, uh, look what God does in the remainder of this chapter. So from verses 18 to 22, which is through the end of the chapter, God lists off, and we're going to list them in a minute after we read it, multiple things. In other words, this portion that we're about to read, the, the remaining text we have of this chapter, is all God foretelling to Moses what is going to happen. So from verses 18 to 22, it's nothing but this is what is going to happen. I'm telling you, as you go, as I'm sending you, here is how the events are going to unfold. So let's, let's read it. Verse 18 says, 
and they will listen to your voice. So they being the elders, you're going to go to the elders, verse 18, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, there's a lot, again, there's a lot happening here, but there's at least five things that we're going to pull that God declared is going to happen. So, in other words, in the future, as you go, these five things are going to happen. The elders are going to listen. That's number one. The elders will listen. So, he's already telling them, look, you're probably worried about this. They're going to listen to you. I'm telling you right now, they're going to listen, which should be comforting. Two, Pharaoh's not going to listen, which that would be like, well, that's not good. But verse three, God will judge Egypt with many signs and wonders. Four, Pharaoh will let them go after that. So eventually he will let them go. And number five, you're going to plunder the Egyptians. So when you go, when Pharaoh finally lets you leave, not only are you going to come out of slavery, but you're also going to come out of slavery with all the riches of Egypt which is a big deal. They were the powerhouse in the world. They had a lot of gold. They had a lot of silver. They had a lot of things, and they're going to plunder them. If you were, we're not going to go back there, but if you remember when we read Genesis 15 earlier, it said you're going to plunder the people, right? So God declared many, many years ago that that was going to happen, and here he's saying again, you're going to do this, and they do do, excuse me, they do do this later, which we'll get to. So there at the end, God's going to go with Moses. He's sending Moses out to, to bring Israel out. He's going to go with them. And not only that, he's giving them the playbook of what's going to happen. Now, I think for a lot of us, that would be like, well, that would be really nice. I wish we had that, you know, for different things going on in our own lives, you know, as we try to plan and think about uh, what's next and whatnot. Um, and and I, as I thought about that some, I was preparing for this. I kept going back and forth because I think on the one hand, that would be really helpful knowing, okay, well, here's happen over the next however long yet at the same time I feel like that would just almost not not be as good because it's like this is going to be terrible here's what's going to happen then they'll be like well that's not I'm going to stress about it now Uh, versus if you just didn't know at all you're just going to go walk faithfully Uh, so I think it's probably God's grace to us that he doesn't spell this out but at the time I'm assuming it was probably pretty helpful um, to some degree but as we'll see we got to stop at chapter three as you'll see next week in chapter four God, or Moses comes up with more excuses as to why he shouldn't go. And so we'll, we'll get to that next week, uh, but that's coming up. But to read our passage um, from Scripture reading this morning again, uh, which I think it can be on the screen, but if not, it's 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that 
No human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So as we land the plane, as we kind of start to wrap up our text this morning, kind of have two questions for you. And the first one is, do you know, do you know God this morning? And that's really that question is holds true for those who who don't know God, who right, who is not in Christ, who's not a believer, as well as the believers. I'm asking I'm asking us that same question because in this text we we see a whole lot of attributes of God, a lot of which we didn't really have time to cover. I was trying to keep things kind of in line uh, to not you know overdo it uh, very long, but. If you go through this text, I'd encourage you to read back through this week, if you haven't already done this uh, prior to, to, the t- to today, and write down all the attributes of God that you see, because there's a lot, there's a whole lot, and it's all of those things should lead us to worship. So for those who don't know the Lord, this is helpful in learning more about who He is. For those of us that do, it's helpful for us in nourishing our souls and reminding us of the goodness of God, His holiness, His sovereignty, His love, and the many, many other attributes that show up in this one chapter. And so I kind of leave you with that. Like This text, I hope, this morning was beneficial to you and just the sense of taking in who God is and His goodness. He heard His people He's moving, he's initiating his plan to deliver them from slavery. He's being faithful to all that he has already said in Genesis and earlier in Exodus. He's delivering on those promises. He is good. He is holy. He's sovereign over all things. I mean, he's telling Moses, this is what's going to happen. He already knows. He already has it planned. It's already part of it. It's not going to deviate. He lays it all out, and that's what happens. So all these different attributes, I just want to leave us, or we have some more left, but leave us with that, on that question. Do we know the Lord? And as an encouragement to believers, we're always seeking to know God more. We're never going to just be like, yeah, I know God. I got them all figured out. <laughs> if that ever happens, we need to check our pride really fast because that's, that's not going to be from the Lord if that comes to mind because he is infinite and we are not, right? Like there is a never-ending amount of the Lord for us to know and to love and to cherish and to experience, and that's never going to get old for eternity. And that's something that we can really take with us this morning. The, the last one, the last kind of uh, you know, question is, what is God calling you to do? What is the Lord calling you to do, and are you being obedient to it? In this case, what we saw in the text is Moses is being called to go to Pharaoh. And we're going to see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks and how that works out. But what are you, like, what are you called to do? And, and one of the things, just to kind of lay that out, we read the Great Commission in Matthew 28 earlier. I mean, that's for all of us. That's, that's for all believers. That's for the church to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, to baptize, to teach, all in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to do all those things. And so that, that includes sharing the gospel with people in where we work, where we go to the gym, grocery store, our family, our friends, others. And even things like that can be really intimidating sometimes. If you've never done it before or if it's somebody that you've known for a really long time or if it's family or whatever the case is, that can be really challenging, right? But we're still called to be faithful and obedient to the Lord in making disciples and sharing the gospel and going out uh, wherever it is he sends us, right? 
But some of you also may be called at some point to plant a church with the branch. Like that church planting is still very much on the horizon for us, Lord willing. And there may come a day, if not already, that you are called to go as part of the church planting team. Like you may not be the lead pastor or person, but we have to have a team of people to go. So that may be you. I mean, that may be something that you are called to do in the future, to go somewhere else for the sake of the gospel. And so I asked you this morning just to keep that on the forefront. Are we being faithful and obedient to all that God has called us to do? And the other question before that is, well, you know, what is that? You know, are we, are, is God leading us to go somewhere? Is he leading us to stay? If so, are we being faithful in making disciples and loving our community and loving our neighbors well? So as we conclude, there we're going to go into a time of communion. And before we do that, I want to make one last note on that. So as, as we go, as Moses went, as others in the scriptures have gone, it's, it doesn't come down to your abilities or our abilities or Moses' abilities or, any, or lack thereof to accomplish God's purposes. God will accomplish his purposes in the way that he's going to do it. Lord willing, that's through faithful obedience on our part. Hopefully, that's what we want. But even in that, it doesn't come down to your your abilities to execute and to to preach, to teach, to share, to work hard, to, to do whatever the case is. It ultimately comes down to who God is and his goodness and his power, his sovereignty, and all that he is. It's on him that we trust. Not so that we can boast, but so that we can boast in the Lord. So that's what I'll leave you with there as we conclude, as we go It is on the Lord who is good and just and right and holy, not on our own abilities and things. So as we go into a time of communion, it's a time for us to reflect. It's a time for us to break bread, dip into the juice, uh, to remember the gospel, to remember all that Christ has done for us, to reflect on our sins and to repent of them as well. As we go into that time and we do it together as the family of God. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you so much for this time to read in Exodus and to study Exodus. Help us, Lord, to apply these truths to our lives. Lord, I pray that you will stir in our hearts affections for you, that as we see and understand who you are and your attributes and your goodness and your kindness to us and all the others, uh, that you will just move in our hearts and minds to know you and love you more, to want to read your word faithfully, regularly, to continue to grow in our knowledge of who you are and our love for you as well out of that knowledge. Um, Lord, help us as a family of God to go out from here to be faithful and obedient to what you're calling us to do. That as we go to work uh, tomorrow and as we go do the various things that we have to do, help us go out there and be faithful and obedient to you and to trust in you in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.